This is the Harvest Community Church Podcast with Pastor Michael Jones. And now let's join today's message, Already in Progress. Well, let's get right into the Word of God today. If you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 4. We're going to consider verses 16 through 30. Luke 4, 16 through 30. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. And when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff, Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Let's pray. Father God, please speak to us through your word today that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. We pray, Father, that Jesus Christ might be lifted up, that Jesus Christ might be glorified, that we might see him. And in seeing him, we might believe on him, and believing on him, we might be saved. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Won't you say amen? Amen and Amen. Well, this is part four in our series entitled Justice Matters. Part four in our series entitled Justice Matters. And today I want to talk about racial injustice. Racial injustice. You know, I had the opportunity a few weeks ago to peek in on uh, Reverend Ron's In the Word Sunday School class. And I heard him mention a philosopher that I was introduced to when I was a student at Morehouse College. That philosopher's name is Martin Buber. 
Martin Buber was an Austrian Jewish and Israeli philosopher best known for his philosophy of dialogue, a form of existentialism centered on the distinction between the I-thou relationship and the I-it relationship. And as I listened in the Sunday school class, evidently Reverend Ron had been talking about this philosopher and this I-thou relationship and I-it relationship. So I was quite familiar. The I-thou relationship, simply put, means that you have a relationship with others and you see their humanity. You see that they're created in the image of God. They're worthy of the respect that you are due as, as a human being. But the I-it relationship reduces the other person's humanity. That person isn't a real image bearer of the Most High God. That person can become landscape. That person can become machinery. That person is just an it. Well, I have a, a thought about racial injustice. You may or may not agree. But this is my whole premise that, that Jesus looked at individuals with an I-thou relationship. He saw their humanity and he saw that they were image bearers of God. Notice this statement. Racial injustice exists because of sin. At the root of that sin is the dehumanization of the person or the people group. If they are not human or less human than myself, then I can justify my treatment of them. Men and women, I believe that Luke chapter 4, this passage that we just read, verses 16 through 30, talks about this dehumanization. I believe that Jesus exposes racial injustice. He exposes the hearts of the Jews in his hometown of Nazareth. He makes sure that those non-Jews, Gentiles, are on the same level in God's sight as these Jews are, His chosen people. I believe that we need to look at this passage differently. Let's unpack it. Jesus goes to Nazareth. He is just tempted in the wilderness. He's beginning His ministry. He goes to synagogue. He asks to read the Scripture. He opens up the Scripture to Isaiah where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim at liberty those who are captive, to re the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then all of a sudden, if you jump down to verse 28 and 29, all of a sudden, the people are filled with wrath. The people want to kill him. The scripture says that they throw him out of the city and they lead him to the brow of a hill where the city is and they want to throw him over a cliff. Now here's my, my question to you. Why? Why do they want to assassinate Jesus? Why do they want to kill Jesus? I used to read this and believe that what made them upset was when Jesus said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I used to believe that they were upset because Jesus proclaimed to be the Messiah. I used to believe that, that he read the scripture in Isaiah, he identified himself as the Messiah, and so now they want to kill him. 
Well, upon further review, if you read the part where he finishes up talking about uh, this scripture being fulfilled, the people marvel at his words. The people are excited about his words and culminate things with, with saying, is this not Joseph's son who was with us? Well, I would submit to you that Jesus tells two stories. He mentions two occurrences in the Old Testament. He mentions a, a, a word about a widow of Zarephath, and he mentions a, a man by the name of Naaman. He mentions both of those, and right after mentioning those two instances in the Old Testament, that's when the people get upset. That's when the people want to kill him and throw him over the cliff. So what I'd like to do is, in the next few minutes that we have, is to show you how Jesus humanizes the least of these. How Jesus takes this, this prejudice that his, that his countrymen have, and over and over throughout the Gospels, he shows that non-Jews are on the same level. They're equal. They're human beings. We're to give them respect as image bearers of the Most High God. That God's grace is for every race. That, that there is just one race. There's just one race, but there are many ethnicities. There are many cultures. There's one race. We all bleed the same blood. And it's red. And yet, we discriminate against one another and we treat people with an I-it relationship because of sin. We dehumanize people. And I believe that this passage, Jesus humanizes Gentiles so that and exposes the sin of his own countrymen of racial injustice and prejudice and racism. Let's get into the Word of God. Look at verses 25 and 26. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. What Jesus is saying there is this. In the time of Elijah, when there was a great famine, there were widows who were in need who were Hebrew. There were Jew, Jewish widows who were in need. And what Jesus is saying is, I tell you the truth, God did not send Elijah to any of them. God sent Elijah to a widow of Zarephath who was in Sidon or Phoenicia. He sent him there to demonstrate his love and concern for non-Jewish widows. Look at this. This Jewish widow, I mean, this, this, this widow of Zarephath is there alone taking care of her son. She's on public assist assistance. She's trying to make it during the time of a famine. And she is miraculously provided for by the prophet Elijah, by God through the prophet Elijah. All of a sudden, her son uh, dies. She's in need of, of health care. She's in need of him being resurrected. And all of a sudden, the prophet comes back and raises him from, from the dead. She is miraculously brought back to his mother. And what Jesus is saying is, there were a lot of widows... Jewish widows in that day. There were a lot of Hebrew widows. There were a lot of widows that were in need just uh, from your racial group. 
But God didn't send Elijah to any of them. He sent him to the widow of Zarephath, a Gentile, a non-Jewish individual, because she needed justice, she needed mercy, and she needed care. Look at point number two. Not only did, did Jesus bring up this widow of Zarephath, but he brings up Naaman the Syrian. Look at verse 27. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. You all know that story in Second Kings chapter 5 where Naaman goes to the prophet to see if the prophet will perform a miracle and uh, the prophet tells him to go dip into the Jordan seven times and he'll be cleansed. Well, the issue becomes here that Naaman is an army commander in Syria. He is a Syrian. He's described in 2 Kings chapter 5 as honorable and great, that he is a victorious military leader in Syria. Now here's the catch. Syria was Israel's captor. When there was a divided kingdom, Israel was put in captivity by the Syrians and Judah was put in captivity by the Babylonians. And so these Jews would know what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus is saying there that there were a lot of people who had leprosy in the Jewish community. There were a lot of people who had leprosy who were Hebrew. There were a lot of, of, of people who had leprosy who were of the children of Israel. But God didn't send the prophet Elijah to any of those folks. He sent him to Naaman the Syrian. Now, I would submit to you that the people didn't get angry when Jesus said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That the people didn't get angry when he read the scripture. That the people didn't get angry when he said, A prophet is not worthy in his own home. But the scripture says that he gives the illustration of the widow of Zarephath and he gives the illustration of Naaman the Syrian and now... They are filled with wrath because from their point of view, these Jews, I'm sorry, these non-Jews, these Gentiles are less than they are. These Gentiles, their relationship with them is not an I-thou relationship. Their relationship with them is an I-it relationship. Their relationship with them is not one of, of, of ethnic equality. No, they're supposed to be submissive. And I would tell you that at the root of racial injustice is seeing other people as less. We can do all the marching we want to do. We can do all the, the protesting we want to do. We can do all the rioting. We, we can do all the legislation. But only God can change the heart of individuals to see others as equal. And what Jesus is doing here is exposing He is exposing the fact that these Jews see non-Jews as lesser. They're lesser. Inequality means that you see other individuals as lesser. And many, many women, that can go in a myriad of ways, not just white and black or black and white. When we look at people of other ethnic groups, we have to see them as image bearers of the Most High God. 
it is later for this 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 looking down upon people because of their ethnicity. Let me uh, share just a couple of things with you and then we'll be done. Jesus does that over and over and over again in the Gospels, showing these Jews that non-Jews have, uh, in the sight of God are on the same level. Notice he in Matthew chapter 8, he mentions a Roman centurion who Jesus comes to. Now the Romans were, were uh, those who were in charge of the system. The Romans were the ones who had their knees on the necks of, of, of all of the people in, in the Roman Empire. The Romans were the ones and the military were like the police. The military, these Roman centurions. And so this Roman police officer comes to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I have a servant who is paralyzed and he's being tormented and he's sick. I want you to come and heal him. And Jesus uh, takes a few steps to go and he says, no, all you have to do is say so. And what Jesus does in that passage in Matthew chapter 8 is toward the end of that story, he says, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. I haven't seen this. He commends this Roman centurion in the presence of his disciples so that his disciples can see why would Jesus compliment this Roman centurion? We're trying to break away from Rome. We, we think that the Romans are, uh, that, that they are less than, than us. They're evil. They're rotten. They, they've got, they're the oppressors. And yet Jesus validates this man's humanity and heals this man's servant and then commends him of his faith. Not only that, but uh, look at uh, point number four in Matthew chapter 15. This Syrophoenician woman, she's wanting health care for her daughter. She is called a Gentile dog. The disciples say, uh, tell her to go away, Lord. She's not one of us. She's not a part of our ethnic group. And yet Jesus tests them. Jesus insults her and says it's not fitting uh, to take away uh, bread from the children and give it to dogs. But her response is, well, even the dogs get the crumbs that the children drop from the table. Jesus is so astonished by this woman's faith that he commends her faith and he heals her daughter in the presence of his disciples because she needed justice. She needed mercy. She needed care. And Jesus looked at her with an I-thou relationship on the same level. You are worthy of a miracle. You are worthy of my, my attention. You are worthy of me considering you. And men and women, even those who, who, who are, are of a different ethnic background, who may not fit into the categories that we would have them fit into, and we say, well, they have needs, just let them go away. No, they are worthy of justice. Worthy of justice. Not only the Syrophoenician woman, but I love the story of the Good Samaritan found in, in Luke chapter 10 toward the end, verses 25 through 37. This Good Samaritan is one that's breaking stereotypes. 
The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Jews would, if a Samaritan was walking down the street, they would walk on the other side of the street so as not to cross paths with the Samaritans. Yet Jesus tells the story of, of a good Samaritan where he is the hero of the story. And not only is he the hero of the story, but he takes care of a man who was robbed and beaten and religious folk. The Orthodox Jews walk by him and don't do anything to help him. And he uses the Samaritan man as an illustration of a man who really is his neighbor. What he's doing there is breaking down stereotypes. And in order for there to be racial justice, stereotypes need to be broken. So that when you see an individual coming and they fit a certain profile and they fit a certain ethnicity, you don't all of a sudden get scared and afraid because of this stereotype. And so men and women, that is at the root. The root issue is that, that, that in many cases we're seen lesser. We're seen as not equal. There's not this I-thou relationship. There's this I-it Relationship, And yet Jesus talks about this good Samaritan. Jesus talked about the Samaritan where the lepers who were cleansed and there were ten of them and one came back to say thank you and he also was a Samaritan. Men and women, we got to break the stereotypes. We got to see people as people and individuals. But not only that, there was a Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. She's there. And some Bible commentators believe that she is a, uh, a a sex worker, that she's there in the middle of the day getting water because she was shunned by her community. She uh, was used by men and probably abused by men. She was scarred by society. She was uh, uh, demeaned by her own people. She was a Samaritan, a non-Hebrew, and yet Jesus says, I have to go there. Jesus says, I have to go there because I have to have a conversation with her. I have to minister to her. And not only did he minister to her, but because of her, the humanity that he saw in her, he made her a leader. I was talking to my daughter this week about this story, and, and she brought out some things that I'd never seen before. She said, Daddy, I love this story because not only does he minister to her needs, he takes her and calls her to be a leader. He, he says that, listen, I know what, what your background is. I know that you've had five husbands and the one that you, you, uh, are living with now is not your husband, but that is not going to limit you from being used by me. And so he sends her back to her, her town and they all hear about Jesus because she opens her mouth and witnesses to them. Men and women, when we see people with an I-thou relationship, we see them for the possibilities and the potential that they have in their lives and not just where they are and the condition that they find themselves in now. You see, with regard to racial justice, it is not just I need to treat them righteously. No, I need to see their value and their worth. I need to see that they are more than just the issues and concerns that I see in their lives right now. They have potential to be used in the kingdom of God. And men and women is so important. It's so important. 
Lastly, I want to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ in John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Each person of each ethnicity, each people group, each, each nation. He goes on to say in Matthew chapter 28, uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. He doesn't leave one out. There is no exclusivity with God. There is no supremacy with God. Everybody is equal. All ground is level at the cross. And men and women, we've got to see that. We've got to see that at the root of racial injustice, that it is sin. That it is sin that we look at people as lesser. It is sin that we look at people as lower. If It is sin that we look at people as not having the same value that we have. It is sin that we not see people as image bearers of the Most High God. It's sin. And it can be sin in the church because here in this passage, in Luke chapter 4, they are in the synagogue when they get upset about Jesus talking about Gentiles and the grace of God. Men and women, I I want you to know that God sees us for who we are. That Jesus went to the cross because He sees our humanity. Jesus went to the cross because He sees our value. Jesus went to the cross and He looks beyond all of our faults and He sees our our needs. Jesus went to the cross to take our sin. Jesus rose from the dead to give us His righteousness. Jesus gave us new life. He gave us a new identity. We're a part of a new kingdom. We're a part of a new system. We're no longer identified by the world. We're no longer identified by what other people think of us. We're no longer identified by our faults and our failures and our fears and our frailties. Jesus saves us. Jesus loves us. Jesus has redeemed us. The cross takes away the dividing wall. Not only the dividing wall between us and God, but the dividing wall between us and each other. Ethnicities no longer count. You cannot rely upon uh, all of those those uh, stereotypes that we have of certain people. Jesus makes us valuable because He died on the cross for us. And we're to see other people's humanity and worthy of ministry, worthy of care, worthy of justice, and worthy of us to see them as valuable in the sight of God. I'm reminded of the story of of this this slave who was on a slave auction somewhere in Louisiana. And he was standing tall and regal on the auction block as people shouted out bids to buy this slave. He stood with his shoulders erect. And one slave owner said to another slave owner, Hey, who does he think he is? He's looking down upon us like he's equal with us. He's looking down upon us like he's actually a human being. He's looking down upon us like he owns us. The other slave owner says to him, Oh, don't mind him. He's the son of a king and he just can't forget it. Well, men and women, we are sons of the Most High God. We are sons and daughters of the King, and we can't forget it. Racial injustice does not diminish our worth. 
It doesn't diminish our value. It doesn't diminish uh, our personhood and our humanity. We are valuable because God has made us valuable. And other people around us are valuable because God has made them valuable as well. Racial injustice is sin. And at the root of that sin is dehumanization. And when we dehumanize a person or a people group or make them less than human, that's when we justify our treatment of them. Let's treat one another the way God would have us treat his own. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey everybody, before we close out today's worship service, I did want to add one thing. You know, uh, it could be that during this pandemic, uh, God has given you a, a real desire to know Him. I know that through this pandemic, uh, a lot of people are watching church and being a part of church online rather than in person. So we could have some people who are tuning in that are not members of Harvest Community Church. Maybe you're tuning in because you have a family member who is a member here or someone said tune in. I want to talk a little bit about your relationship with God. You know, there are so many people who attend church that are relying on the wrong thing. I remember when I was growing up, I attended church and I was relying on trying my best to be the best person I can be. And maybe if if I got to the end of my life, God would see that my good works maybe outweighed my bad works and maybe I'd make it into heaven. But, you know, it's not about good works or bad works because the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, we all have a sin problem that we're separated from God. And nothing can relieve that separation except for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Jesus didn't die on that cross because it was a good idea. Jesus died on that cross because he knew that through his death, he would pay a penalty for our sin that we couldn't pay. It could be that you've gone to church and you're religious, but you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ. You've never said, Lord Jesus, I need to depend upon your death on the cross for me. I need to stop depending on my good works, stop depending on my record, and just confess the fact that, that I'm sinful, that I'm a sinner. I did that a number of years ago, and the Lord Jesus changed my life. I started reading my Bible I started having a hunger and a thirst to get to know Him. And slowly but surely, He began to reveal Himself to me. I remember how it all started. I prayed a prayer that went something like this. Lord Jesus, I need You. Thank You for dying on the cross for my sins. I now open the door of my life and receive You as my Savior and Lord. Thank You for forgiving my sins and for giving me eternal life. Take control of the throne in my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. By faith, I trusted that Jesus Christ came into my life just as He promised. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice 
and opens the door of their life, I will come into him and sup with him. I heard his voice. I opened the door of my life through that prayer, and he came into my life. And he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So if there's someone out there that would like to pray that prayer right now and invite Jesus Christ into your life, I'll pray it. And you can pray it along with me in the quietness of your heart. Or you can pray it along with me out loud. I'll just pray it phrase by phrase. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I now open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Now, Lord, take control of the throne of my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, there will be no bells and whistles or fireworks or anything like that. But if you pray that prayer in faith, Jesus has come into your life and He'll slowly but surely begin changing some of your hurts and habits and hang-ups. He'll begin changing some of the things that have been destructive in your life. And the greatest thing is, He'll give you a desire to get to know Him better. Please let us know if you made that decision. Uh, God bless you and praise God. I hope that you've made that decision. In Jesus' name, amen. We are hard and